Hello, and welcome to Reed Scholars Live. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Fleming and current president of Reed Scholars. Today, I am joined by Dr. Elda Nagasaku, who is an internal medicine physician and also holds a PhD in quantum optics. She is also a Reed Scholars with an extensive experience with extensive experience in a large healthcare delivery system. And she currently resides in Hawaii. Welcome, how are you today? I am well, Mary, and thanks. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And, uh, you too. I'm always, I mean, I'm just fascinated that you're in Hawaii and I'm kind of sneaking a peek out the window over there. For <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, how, you know, how's, how have you been? How has this past year found you? I know it's been a, a roller coaster of a year for most of us. Yeah, I mean, I would say this, this year, you know, as with many other people, uh, it, it has been overwhelming in some respects. I really, on one hand, I'm trying to balance, you know, some of the, the downheartedness from a lot of the, the tragedies that have occurred, and as well as with optimism around seeing a lot of topics that I think, you know, those of us that have been working in health equity for, for a, a while, right. kind of know we're there. They were always there. They were always, we were always hearing about them. We we're always talking about them, but that maybe, you know, having that wider audience, having more of that attention, hopefully um, will help continue to accelerate change. So, um, you know, balancing down hardness with also with, with hopefulness. Definitely. And I, I mean, we've learned a lot. I think we have a lot left to learn, um, but mm -hmm. there's definitely an opportunity for innovation and optimism and changing things for the better. Um, and so kind of with that, you know, we, we, of course, spend all our time talking about health equity on this podcast, but we probably should take a step back and really think about what health equity means. And because now we're talking about it so much, is, is it changing our definition? So give us a little bit of um, some fundamentals, if you will, about health equity uh, as you've known it and you've grown into it. Um, and kind of your journey to health equity and how do you see that definition changing um, in, in this last year, year and a half? And so, um, so wow, a lot of questions in there. Yeah, so I'll start off just more maybe with, <laughs> no, those are all excellent, excellent questions. Um, so I think in my, my journey to health equity work, I would say, you know, I, I smiled when we were talking, you know, before this started about what was your PhD in and it being in, <laughs> in quantum optics and so forth. Um, during that period of time, you know, uh, one of the, the things that started my journey was actually that I spent three years volunteering on a, a rape crisis service. And that was really my first immersion into really seeing how a lot of issues around trauma and around medical care, you know, because we'd also go sit with people in the ED and just seeing the different ways maybe that people were treated by, by our, our healthcare system and the different ways people would access services as we would link them to services, people with phones and insurance may be able to link better to services as opposed to those folks who are saying, I, I don't have a phone. Um, you know, so in terms of even trying to follow up with them, the difficulties that that presented for them, or even with respect to housing, right? I would say at that point, you know, I'd had the privilege of being able to take housing as like just something that, that people had and to be safe in your own home and then starting to, to volunteer in the course of the training. And then of course, responding to these phone calls, seeing um, women, people of, of, of all genders, but, you know, mainly at, at that point in time, we were seeing a lot of women who maybe didn't 
weren't able to be safe in their own neighborhood because they did not have the money or resources to move out of a neighborhood where they saw their, um, you know, the, the assailants uh, all the time. And so I think that really started my journey towards uh, wanting to work to make those things better. Um, and so I think I'd start off seeing the intersection of like poverty and uh, different, you know, discrimination and different kinds of things in that setting before then deciding to go to medical school and then to go into healthcare. Um, in terms of the journey of health equity and the way I've seen some of the discussions evolve, I think some of the things that, you know, obviously wide ranging discussions, I've been very heartened to see the movement. Oh, I, I want to choose my words carefully. It is really important that we look at medical causes of differences in outcomes right. and you know medical research and biomedical research fantastic really important it saved the lives of folks in my family i do not want to minimize that at all and seeing the discussion more broadly go from kind of back you know even before i started my medical journey around hey here are these you know biological difference in outcomes. Um, and we're gonna ascribe that to, to race, to really broadening and continuing to broaden the discussion mm -hmm. saying, hey, so what is in our lane, right? What is in our lane as medical providers, as healthcare organizations around, what does it take to solve these differences? What does it take to, to reduce those disparities? And so a definition I like that I've seen, you know, a lot of other places comes from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And so that's really starting off with just at the basic, oh, it's got three parts, which I love, because it starts off just saying, what is it? Right. Well, it's health equity is when everyone has the fair and just opportunity to be as healthy as possible. But then they go this other layer and says, what, what is required? And the definition is very broad. It says, you know, what's required if we want to, you know, achieve health equity is to remove those obstacles. And they call out poverty, discrimination and all the results of that. And they, I, I can't quote it exactly, but it's, you know, talking about access to good jobs, safe, we talked about safe environments, right? Good jobs, safe environments, um, you know, quality education, quality housing, um, you know, uh, mitigating the, the powerlessness that comes with discrimination and poverty. And then we're talking about measurements, you know, and metrics and so forth. So they finished by saying, with respect to measurement, what health equity means is that we're going to reduce and eliminate health disparities for, for groups that have been, you know, adversely affected um, because of being, you know, marginalized. Um, so, yeah, so that to me is a definition that I like around health equity. I do too. I think it, 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 it's simple enough, but inclusive enough that gets to the heart of the mm -hmm. issue and anyone can read it and understand, you know, what's yes. going on. Um, and kind of kind of going off the last point, we're talking about measurement. So uh, we talk a lot in, in across fields, right, about data and data collection. It seems like, you know, with this boom of technology, it's just more and more data everywhere. Um, and we talk about data as it relates to health equity and what type of data do we collect? Where do we collect that data? What do we do with the data when mm -hmm. we collect it? How do we use it in yes. a way? Um, so there's lots of questions. And, and, you know, and right now, because we're talking about health equity so broadly, um, in all honesty, and so many different organizations and corporations are coming up with chief equity offices, officers and mm -hmm. offices of health equity. And, um, and so, you know, we have a lot of potential to get more data from different places, but yeah. how are we, tell us a little bit about how we should be collecting data 
um, what we should be doing with the data um, once we collect it, and then how do we hold those people who are collecting those, that data accountable? So all great questions. And so I think, you know, as, as you're alluding to, right, there can be this feeling of really, do we need more data? Don't we already have a ton of data? And, you know, and, and even as a patient, right, sometimes when you go and you check in and if they're adding more and more questions, yes. just some survey you have to fill out thinking, you know, I've, I've talked to patients who are like, why, why am I answering more and more of these questions? Um, and so I think one of the things that is very important is that data be tied to action. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's true in, in general, right? As clinicians were taught, you know, it's not like you're gonna chase down every lab measurement, we're gonna draw blood and do all this stuff. It's really, is that gonna affect what you do? Exactly. And I think that lesson we learned as clinicians also applies in this sphere in a different way, meaning, are we collecting it just for the sake of saying we have it or are we going to use it? And that I think links to accountability in, in the sense that, you know, how is it being used? Because there can be times when we really want data from the standpoint of action. And we've seen that, you know, with respect to um, race data availability and that um, being able to separate, for instance, with respect to COVID, um, you know, seeing the differential impact, you know, the pandemic really laid bare for the whole country a lot of these issues that those of us working in health equity were already aware of around the effects on the differential effects on different communities, you know, in terms of race and in terms of, you know, other vulnerability factors, right? But at the same time, that data sometimes is really hard to, to get it, or it's not publicly available, or it's not linked, you know, this collected over here, and then this is collected over there, and they're not connected, or heaven forbid, right? Sometimes some kinds of these data are collected on like pieces of paper <laughs> that mm -hmm. then is in the file <laughs> cabinet, right? And, you know, and you're, then, then there's this other humongous database, and, you know, how, how is that connected? Or even with respect to, um, you know, because here, obviously equity can span many different dimensions, but here right. we're talking especially about racial equity, you know, at, at this point. Um, you know, sometimes one of the projects that I think a lot of different folks working in equity in healthcare organizations, you know, perennially do is around, you know, race data collection. How is it being collected? Is it collected in a standardized way? And then is it available? Even those kinds of really simple things then impact downstream when we need that data. We want to use that data and it's not available. And so one of my biases is really around that organizations, especially really think about what, how am I using this data and what will I need? What will the folks making these decisions need to to have in front of them and then letting that drive, you know, the data collection. Um, and also even what partnerships do we want to create? You know, people um, have long been talking about, you know, collective impact and so forth, but this larger concept of how do we collaborate? Are we using the same metrics as our uh, allies in different organizations are that we want to partner with because if we're asking one patient to have multiple different kinds of questions all about the same thing or we're looking at different outcomes but in 12 different ways again we're leading to that multiplication of data but it's not necessarily translating into action and I think another area where we see maybe there's this broad sea of data but there's also a lack is sometimes when I've seen um 
really great statements from organizations about a commitment to equity, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes those aren't, it's not always clear, what is that next level? Does the organization have metrics that they're following? Are, how are, you know, in all other spheres, right, of any organization, you're held accountable, right? You know, at the end of the year, at the end of the quarter, whatever, for different metrics on performance, on quality, on so forth. Well, when it comes to the equity statement, when you peel that back, what, what are the metrics? Can people say, because if people can't tell you what metrics they're following, it makes you question, uh, how carefully are the parties? Do they have sort of that specific, measurable, actionable, time-limited, in a year, we are going to move this needle by this much? Right. You know, and I recognize the work is hard and that a lot of these things, as we know, progress can, can, be, can take time. And if it's not, if, the, if there's not a metric, I still do question the level of accountability that's there so that, you know, in a year from now, in two years from now, in three years from now, can we say, this organization did this, 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 and this, and it progressed? Or is it sort of like, yeah, now there's another unfortunate event or series of events. And then there's, we feel like we're back, you know, in 2020 um, and we're repeating <laughs> or, it over before, and over right. or before, <laughs> yes, or, or, or before. Um, well, I wanna go back and underscore a couple of things that you said, and then um, I have a follow-up question to that. So one, we talk about health equity a lot, and I just kind of, for the audience, health equity, to your point, is a lot of different things. So we spend a lot of time here mm -hmm. talking about racial and ethnic differences, mm -hmm. but we also recognize that that is not the limit of health equity, and we Absolutely. invite and encourage conversations around the health equity spectrum across the board. It's one. Absolutely. Two, even thinking about collecting um, data, or, so going back to racial and ethnic differences, though, and collecting data around that. I mean, I remember even uh, when I was starting my first clinical job, which, I mean, I guess it's a decade ago right now, but um, they weren't collecting that data or language on initial intake, right? And so it's like, how mm -hmm. do you go back and really assess quality, and you're missing these key mm -hmm. pieces of data? And then even when we look at the data that we do have for the even as recent as five or 10 years ago, you get black, white, and other, right? Yeah. Um, and so like, <laughs> what is that telling you? So I was gonna ask you just to speak a little bit about the nuances of, you know, when we look at our different populations um, in this country, and then people who are coming from outside of this country into this country, I mean, that just adds to the layer of, of um, measurement. So just, I mean, just briefly, not in a whole bunch of detail, but- yeah how people should think about collecting uh, race and ethnic data and, and being mindful of um, the many different categories under these big boxes. So absolutely. So the first thing, because especially folks haven't been working with these kinds of data, I think it can seem really overwhelming because it, it can be, right? It's a complex situation. And at the same time, you know, there are well-established standards. So for instance, the OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, um, has set standards around here are the different uh, race categories. So there are specific uh, categories under race that all you can, so a couple of different things. One, there are specific race categories and definitions, right. first of all. And so <laughs> that's the building block. Two, I think sometimes people, again, those that aren't familiar with the data tend to sort of be like, well, that must be the only categories that matter. No, what that means is just that this is sort of, this is what within the federal government, you know, that, that um, 
the surveys have to be able to be combined down into, but that doesn't mean that's the only thing you can ask. And so that's where, you know, as you're alluding to, you know, within, for example, uh, Asian, or even more broadly, right? Sometimes it's lumped together, as you mentioned, in other, right. that's pretty broad. And then, you know, and then you get uh, uh, Asian, you know, AAPI, so inclusion of Pacific Islanders. Again, what a broad group, right? In terms of very different, in terms of the different historical experiences and contexts tying into, you know, present day experiences, right? And then within Asian, again, very, very uh, broad definition. And there are, you know, further, like when you look, for instance, at the census and the ways in which different questions are asked, you know, there are different, again, just using Asian as an example, you know, different groups, whether that's Chinese, Japanese, and so forth, you know, it's kind of the most, the largest groups by origin that are listed and also a place to, to add, um, you know, for people to add how they're identifying if it's not, not captured there. Um, and, I think already, right, it feels, I can imagine how it feels like people were getting in the weeds, right? You're now getting all into these details. But the thing that I want to point out again is the tie to action. That when you look at the variation using Asian as an example, like say you say, okay, I, I want to really, you know, help work on these disparities. And I know that they are connected to issues around poverty, discrimination, education, and so forth. So I, I want to do something. Well, if you just start off and you say, I'm going to grab, you know, sort of the averages around Asian and we say, well, the Asian poverty rate is, you know, and these, these numbers, by the way, Pew Research has a great sort of set of policy briefs and, and graphs. So I want to, to say that that's, that's where I'm pulling these numbers from, but they, um, you know, so the, the um, poverty rate on average is, I believe, 10%. But when you look at it, so some groups, that number is nearly half, some groups, you know, the poverty rate is even less than that. It's like 6% or 7%. You look at other groups, the poverty rate is over twice that. It's more like one in four. And so if you don't, if you are just mushing everybody together, you may not be directing your resources to, to the particular subgroup that needs them. So it's not just like a theoretical thing of how many boxes do I have in this forum. It's really, do you have the information you need to target your resources, support your efforts, in in an effective way because otherwise you know it's you're you might be not spending your your resources optimally and effectively um and then uh well here i'll stop there <laughs> no no i mean and i think and that that speaks to you know one of those uh, cartoons that we talk about equity all the time uh where you know you give everybody a box right everybody yeah, doesn't need exactly. a box some people need two boxes some people don't need a box at all so exactly. you really need to understand your population to know exactly. how to distribute your, your resources or you're not really mm -hmm. maximizing the um the help so um yeah. but so so going back to my follow-up question which is tying into this so we're talking about different organizations um talking about health equity capturing data um kind of in this and we're not post-COVID yet, but this intra-COVID experience that we're mm -hmm. having um, and, and the concern about consistency, longevity, sustainability, accountability, all those yeah. things. So as a consumer or as a potential employee or even um, as a patient, and then you're looking at an organization and trying to understand if they are um, really committed to the health equity conversation, how, what questions would you pose to evaluate those organizations? So I would, I would ask three things 
obviously we could, you know, talk even more broadly. I could come up with more of them, but I think three things to start off. So one thing would be just what are your goals and priorities? And just like we talked about, are they, are they smart goals? And by that, I mean, of course, that acronym of, you know, specific, measurable, time-bound, resourced, and, and so forth. Another thing that um, I think is important and often missed in data discussions, because we think data is objective. The second one would be, um, who's included on those teams? And, you know, there's issues around diversity, inclusion, um, both from just sort of that fundamental standpoint of, you know, you've heard the phrase, you know, nothing about me without me and so forth, you know, are the communities, you know, who are you including in that discussion? Um, and I think that's really important to ask and to recognize the expertise of, you know, when we talk about marginalized, minoritized communities, a lot of times that expertise of those community organizations though that, that have been working on these efforts in a long time, especially if they are smaller organizations or, um, you know, again, talking about discrimination and so forth, people may not come to people's minds as, hey, those folks, those organizations should be at the table. And I think it's important, again, for the effectiveness of these programs and of the data collection, right? You know, it's important to do things that are meaningful. Who's at the table talking about that? Who's talking at the table around that? So that's question two. Um, priorities, who's at the table? And then the last one I think there's more and more attention to is really there's the work the organization that is outward facing and the metrics around that. But, and so just using healthcare organizations, an example, right? You know, they're, they're quality of care, they're this and that. But, you know, there's also attention to how are they, their employers, how are they treating their employees? What is the diversity inclusion? What is that experience, you know, of employees at, at all different levels from frontline to the C-suite of an organization? And that I think is an important question and related question that, um, to that would be organizations are also purchasers. They, um, there's a group called the Healthcare Anchor Network that is really calling attention to this, right? They're employers and purchasers. In what way are their purchases of goods and services supporting or alternatively not supporting you know, these local communities that traditionally have been disinvested in? You know, what, what role is organization playing there? So I think those three questions around priorities, who's at the table and the own, you know, looking internally, right? Is the organization really thinking about these other, you know, employment, you know, and procurement uh, that maybe we don't always think about, especially in the healthcare space. Yeah, I think those are all great. And I especially like the last one about really taking that inward look um, and how you're mm -hmm. treating your, because your employees are also part of your community and the community that you serve. Absolutely. So you're not taking care Absolutely. of them. Then, you know, I might question what, you know, your other um, mm -hmm. missions are and, and how you're executing those. So, um, so as we close, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, I'd, I'd like to end with kind of thinking towards the future. So um, as we talked about, you know, this last year has been a, a bit of a roller coaster with lots of um, very sad moments, but also lots of moments for growth and innovation and um, and reflection. Uh, so as you look forward uh, to the next year, what are you hopeful for? Or what are you looking forward to either personally or professionally? Like just what's on the horizon? You know, I hope that, you know, honestly, I just hope these discussions continue. I just hope that we're continuing to hold organizations accountable. I hope that, you know, um, you know, I made reference, you know, to the, the whole thing right around what, what is in the lane, right? We've heard that phrase coming up, right? Especially around gun violence and so forth and healthcare providers and the role. I hope that people continue to be um, 
brave in lifting up these things that it's easy to criticize healthcare folks for speaking up and saying, well, that's not a part of, you know, that has nothing to do with insulin, that is nothing to do with whatever. But I feel like the events have led people to really, you know, there was the Reed Scholars, um, that panel really around, you know, the, the recent panel really looking at policing and so forth um, and recognizing those contributors. And I hope that that bravery to speak out about all of these different issues that encompass health equity continues. I, I love it. I, I think to your point, we don't have a lane. I mean, our lane is taking care of people and you know yes. we have to meet them where they are. And sometimes that is not in the office or in the hospital. Um, so with that, thank you so much. Um, go out there and soak up a little sunshine for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I look forward to talking to you again. You Again, I always learn something for you. You are um, very insightful and, and you make me stretch. So I appreciate that. Um, so, but thank you so much. Such a pleasure to talk with you, Mary.